How often are you wrong nowadays? How, how often are you experimenting with new things? I mean, someone looking from the outside in might see you iterating. Sure, here's another book. But he's the book guy. He knows how to do books, words on paper, digital, whatever, you know. Um, maybe we don't get to see all the innovation happening behind the scenes. But I'd like to know, you know, how often now are you experimenting? And built into that question is a, is a backup question, which is how often should we be thinking about innovating? And then how, how often are you wrong? Um. If I'm working hard, I'm wrong almost every single day, sometimes several times a day. Uh, behind me, in all these videos, you see bookshelves. Most of the books on these bookshelves are filled with projects I did that didn't work. And uh, I'm good enough to double down on the ones that do work, that it looks like I'm right a lot. 7,000 blog posts, half of them are below average. And 140 podcasts, some of them aren't as good as the other ones. I work for hours on something. It's perfectly polished. I go here, they say, Ugh. and then I do something because I'm on deadline and I pop it off in eight minutes and people think it's the greatest thing I ever did. I don't know. I just know that the practice involves showing up. And so I'm wrong a lot. Now, we're talk there is a spectrum between being wrong about an interaction with one person who you need to connect with and being wrong on a book that you spent a year writing or a business you spent five years building, right? But we gotta do all of them. So yeah, most of my errors are errors of omission, not commission, things I should have done, things I could have said, things I could have written. But there's also the stuff where I've had an interaction or written something where history said you weren't that right this time or where the market said, nah, we're just not gonna sign up for this. We don't think it's a good idea. And again, you protect against the downside. The downside for me used to be that if I lost 500 bucks, I was out of the game. So I had to take very little swings. Now I can afford to lose 500 bucks and still be in the game. So I take slightly bigger swings. But no, I'm not busy starting a startup with 100 employees because that's a swing that would freak me out. Starting from scratch is difficult, changes no one wants change usually. Well, not no one. And that's, this is the key. The smallest viable audience comes back again. Because the biggest possible audience wants safety and it wants affiliation and it wants to be part of something that it knows is going to be the way it's supposed to be. But there are always in every market, the early adopters, the people who want to go first, the people who say what's new, not what works. So if we want to innovate, we have to ignore the masses. We have to ignore the fact that, quote, no one has ever heard of you. Well, almost no one has ever heard of you, but the right people have. It, it reminds me of a talk I heard, I think it was Liz Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she, yeah, she gave this talk. Great. And what stuck with me most, and still sort of haunts me to this day, and something I struggle with all the time, if you want to call it, you know, in my practice, is, is our best work behind us? We've done something great. How do, you, how do you replicate it? Once you've done something tremendous, you know, the pressure of recreating the magic, what do you, what do, you do? 
um, something kind of peculiar has happened recently in my life and in my career, which has caused me to have to sort of recalibrate my whole relationship with this work. And um, the peculiar thing is that I recently wrote this book, this memoir called Eat, Pray, Love, um, which decidedly, unlike any of my previous books, um, went out in the world for some reason and became this big mega sensation international bestseller thing. The result of which is that everywhere I go now, people treat me like I'm doomed. Um, seriously, doomed, doomed. Like they come up to me now like all worried and they say, aren't you afraid? Um, aren't you afraid you're never going to be able to top that? Um, aren't you afraid you're going to keep writing for your whole life and you're never again going to create a book that anybody in the world cares about at all, ever? again? Aren't you afraid you're never going to have any success? Aren't you afraid the humiliation of rejection will kill you? Aren't you afraid that you're going to work your whole life at this craft and nothing's ever going to come of it and you're going to die on a scrap heap of broken dreams with your mouth filled with bitter ash of failure? I, I should just put it bluntly because we're all sort of friends here now, it's exceedingly likely that my greatest success is behind me. You know, um, so Jesus, what a thought, you know, like that's the kind of thought that could lead a person to start drinking gin at nine o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I don't want to go there. You know, I would prefer to keep doing this work that I love. And so the question becomes how? So she's just one of my patron saints. I think she's an extraordinary human. I was 20 feet from her when she gave her TED talk. And in the talk, she explains that after she wrote Eat, Pray, Love, which was a sensation, Julia Roberts, millions of copies sold, a book that confounded all expectations, her publisher pays her a lot of money to write a new book. She writes the whole book. She's at the copy shop making a copy of her only copy to submit the finished book to the publisher. And she looks at it and she throws it in the trash. And she says to herself in that moment, I can never top that book. And I got all choked up. And after her talk, I, I ran up to her and I said, don't you dare. Don't you dare throw another book in the trash. Your job is not to be better than the old Liz Gilbert. The old Liz Gilbert's gone forever. The old any of us is gone forever. Your job is to be the best version of what you've got right now based on what's around you and the change you seek to make. Don't play covers. We need new originals. And it's the people who keep trying to recapture that old thing that happened mostly because of luck that end up bitter and disconnected because it was luck. And it might come back or it might not. But playing covers and making sequels, you can do better than that. But if we try to attach ourselves to the outcome, we will sacrifice the process. That the practice says... The outcome matters. That's why I'm here. It's why it's work. But no, I'm not sacrificing the practice to reverse engineer some outcome that I have no control over because I have no control over it. So therefore, all I can do is merely do this work.